for the word? Hallelujah, Father. Somebody kept calling, so I had to shut my watch off, but I'll start my timer. Three hours, 34 minutes, and 59 seconds. And you'll be out of here. So we're going to continue with our series on the blessing. And uh, this might be the last. I kind of feel we're going to take another path, but it'll just be an interruption because we certainly have not exhausted the subject. And uh, so if we interrupt it for a minute and come back later on, we'll pick up with part eight in a few weeks. Um, but today is part seven of the blessing. It doesn't really have a title, but what I want to show you is how powerful the blessing is. You know what the blessing does. The blessing is an empowerment to prosper. The blessing is God's power and favor working for you, through you, and happening to you, to where even your enemies can't resist you. Everything you put your hands to prospers, that there is no foe that can stand before you, no city you can't conquer, no famine you can't outlast. When the blessing of God is upon you, you ain't got nothing to worry about. Right? Like the original blessed man, George Jefferson, who was moving on up to the east side, that's you. You're moving up to a penthouse in the sky. Amen. And so today what I want to do is be, we're going to look at a, an Old Testament story. But I want to say this, that we, what we need to understand is the blessing isn't just about, as Pastor Dave used to say, longer cars and VCRs. It's not even about SUVs and DVDs. That shows how outdated Pastor Dave was. We don't even do DVDs no more, but I can't find anything that rhymes with memory stick. And um, it, it's, it's not about us. Remember, God told Abram, I'm going to bless you so that you can be a blessing. And see, the church, we seem, to, we seem to have lost the reality of Christianity. And that is this. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not a hope. It is the hope for the whole world. And the carrier of the gospel is you. So, see, you got to be blessed so that you can be a blessing. You've got to be so well-resourced that you can engage in good works because Jesus equated the good works that you do as the light that men see. Am I right or am I wrong? Is it Bible or not? Right? So he said that they would see your good works and glorify your Father who's in heaven. So our aspiration is not just possessions. Our aspiration is to be able to make a difference in our world. To be able to do the things that relieve the suffering of humanity. To turn the light on in dark places and to build the buildings that the crowds can come to to be healed and set free. Amen. So we, we want to be blessed and it ain't about us. It's about pro the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we ought not to close our eyes and resist it and think, well, you know, pastors, that's just a claim it and grab it and blab it. No, no, no. It's about making a difference. Amen. And so go with me before I get started. I want to read to you Hebrews chapter seven, verse twenty two. Because we're going to be looking at an Old Testament story. I want you to see these verses. Hebrews chapter 7 verse 22 says, So all of this magnifies the truth that we have a superior covenant with God than what they experienced. See, this is why in, Hebrew, in Romans chapter 15 verse 4, it says that 
everything that was written before time was written for our instruction. So that when we would read Old Testament stories, we don't get theology from the Old Testament. We get our theology from the New Testament, but we get our hope from the Old Testament because we see there what God can do for a people who are committed to him. And we also see what happens when they lose their way. But when we read it, we got to understand that our covenant is better than theirs. That's what it says, right? We have a superior covenant than what they experienced. Why? For Jesus himself is its guarantor. And then in the same book, Hebrews chapter 8, verse 6, it says, But now Jesus the Messiah has accepted a priestly ministry which far surpasses theirs, since he is the catalyst of a what? Better covenant. Everyone say better. Which contains, listen to this, far more wonderful promises. So better covenant, more wonderful promises. So keep that in mind as we go through the book of Numbers because I want to show you, it's a story all of you know, but not all of you know it well enough. The story of Balak and Balaam. And I want to show you how strong the blessing of God is. But keep in mind as we're reading this, you're a partaker of a better covenant with better promises. So if the blessing of God was this strong under the old, how much more under the new? See, when you understand, this is the reason why I got you, I got I to gotta keep hammering this till when you look in the mirror, you don't see Mary Kay or oh my, you see blessed. It ain't about the wrinkles or the gray hair or the no hair. When you look in the mirror, the first thing that comes to your mind is I'm the blessed of the Lord. So it doesn't matter what's on Fox or CNN or any other news outlet. I am the blessed of the Lord. And when you're the blessed of the Lord, you ain't got nothing to be afraid of. Once again, I'm going to tell you, it doesn't matter how high gas goes. Do you know he's multiplied oil before? Does he change? Is he weaker today than he was then? Is he more apathetic today than he was then? Did he somehow care more for them than he does for you? No. So if he needs to multiply oil, and what is gas? It's oil. Can you imagine a car that never runs out? Well, pastor, that's impossible. That's your problem. Right there, that's your, you think it's impossible. All things to them. Now, what does the word all mean? All. It's all inclusive. All things are possible. It's possible for him to bless your wonder bread so you don't ever have to buy more bread. It's possible. It's possible for him to multiply the macaroni in the pot so it never runs out. If he's ever done it for anyone before, he'll do it for you. So you don't ever have to be afraid. If you go into the grocery store and all they got is a banana, you'll be eating banana pudding, banana bread, banana souffle. Your banana will never run out. You'll have so much banana, you'll go banana. But what you won't go is hungry. Because David said, I was young and now I'm old and I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging banana. Your God is a good God. And don't let current affairs somehow convince you that he ain't what he used to be. He's all of that and more. 
Amen. So today, what I want to do is I want to, uh, we're going to explore the story of a prophetic hitman named Balaam. Okay? Our story begins in Numbers chapter 22, verse 3. And as you're turning there, what you'll find is that the people of God, they're coming to the end of their 40-year wandering. And some of you have heard me say this before. A wilderness experience is common to all. Every one of us will have a wilderness experience. A wilderness experience is necessary, but it need not be necessarily long. If we study the scripture, we find that their, their wilderness experience should have been, could have been nine days. They turned it into 40 years. But they're coming to the end of it, and they have just taken out the Amorites, and they're coming into a plain, uh, an open space, and the story picks up with the Moabites being really afraid of these people. Okay? So now that you got the background, let's read this verse. Numbers 22, verse 3. So Moab was in great fear because of the people. For they were numerous, and Moab was in dread of the sons of Israel. Now, in the Hebrew, when something is repeated twice, it's for emphasis. Okay? There's really no need to say he was in great fear and in dread. Unless what you're trying to communicate is they were freaking out. You know what I'm I'm talking? Freak out. And the reason they were freaking out is because they had witnessed this ragtag team of misfits who didn't fit in. Anyone ever felt like you didn't fit in? They didn't fit in in any conceivable box. They had no visible king. They had no city, no HQ. They they, they They were former slaves who were now nomads following a cloud. They were weird, yet they were undefeated. And from afar, now see, we read the story and we know that within the camp, they had some issues. But this is so important, see, because when we're in the church, we know the church ain't perfect. Right? We all got issues. Some of you got more than me, but that's okay. (laughs) But we know that when we're up and close and personal, church ain't perfect. Israel was not perfect, but those who were outside the camp were still afraid because they knew that even apart from their imperfections, their God was amazing. And so you and I need to understand our imperfections don't disqualify us from his goodness. And that those who look outside, we might think everything's falling apart because we see all the flaws. They see the mightiness of God. And so the Moabites are out here looking in going, these people are scary. No weapon formed against them. In every scheme and every plan, they overcome, and it doesn't matter how high the walls are we build, they climb the silly things. And if they don't climb them, they shout them down. So they're terrified. And so the king of the Moabites, a guy named Balak, decides to employ a prophet who had an amazing reputation. See, this is every scholar agrees that Balaam was a true prophet, a descendant of Lot, most likely, 
who knew the voice of God. And he had a reputation that whoever he cursed, they were cursed. And whoever he blessed, they were blessed. And his prophecies were always accurate. So what Balak did is he went for the top dog. He went for the heavy hitter. Right? Because what he was is he knew, listen to me, he knew that as long as the blessing of God was upon the people of God, they weren't going to be defeated. And it terrified him. So this is where we pick up our story. Let's go ahead and... Oh, well, let me say this. I, I can't miss this. I can't miss this. Once again, I got handwritten notes all over my notes. We can learn a lot from Balaam, and I, I'm going to try not, but I do got to point out a couple things. Balaam was a true prophet with character flaws. And we pick up what his character flaw was in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 15, when the Bible says, Forsaking the right way, they have gone astray, having followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. He was a mighty prophet, but he loved money. And this is where he became a false prophet, was in the pursuing of pay. Okay, so let's go back to Numbers chapter 22, verse 6. They come to Balaam and they say in verse 6, Now therefore, please come, curse this people for me, since they are too mighty for me. Perhaps I may be able to defeat them and drive them out of the land if you curse them. For he says, I know that he whom you bless is blessed, and he whom you curse is cursed. Now, Balak was trying to overcome the blessing so he could conquer the people. Because as long as the blessing was in operation, you could not defeat them. Everyone say, I'm a partaker of a better covenant. Your enemies ought not to be laughing at you. Your enemies ought to be terrified of you. Because when you come to the table, the favor that's on you is undeniable. And that even when you sit down in the presence of your enemies, the favor is upon you and the table is set for you. He has prepared for me a table in the presence of my enemies. When the, when the table is prepared for you, that means everything on the table is yours. So when David said, before my enemies, in the very presence of my enemies, he's prepared a table for me. So they're going to be able to stand there and watch me partake of what's on the table. I want you, listen, when you know that you know that you know that you're blessed, they can't steal from you. They cannot steal from you. Because what you have, they can't get. Everyone say, I'm blessed. That bless puts a little extra on your ordinary. And makes you extraordinary. So at first, Balaam, he denied the temptation. But eventually he gave in what he told him. You remember the story. He said, you know, y'all, 
just go sit over there for a while. I'm going to go upstairs and pray, and we'll see what the Lord has to say. And I'll come back to you in the morning and talk to you. So when he comes back, at first he denied the temptation, but eventually he gave in. And listen, what this means was his, his denial was more of a negotiation than a repudiation. I'm going to chase a rabbit right here. We've all had these situations where we really want to do something and God tells us not to. And at first we say, well, I can't do that because the Lord told me not to. So what do we do? We go back to God to see if he changes his mind. And we'll discover by Balaam and a whole bunch of other people. You remember the story of Israel wanting a king. You know a king was not God's choice. He tried to talk them out of it. But they wanted a king so they could be like everyone else. And so even though he warned them, this is what a king's going to do. They still wanted a king. So he said, well, okay, fine, whatever. Have a king. King wasn't his choice. If we're hard-headed and hard-hearted enough, God will let us do what we want to do. And when he lets us do what we want to do, don't mistake that with the will of God. So at first, Balaam says no, but Balaam's got a character flaw. He likes money. So it was more of a negotiation tactic. He sent him away, but he was willing to negotiate again. You following me? We're going somewhere with this. But there's so much we can learn from Balaam. So Balaam comes down in the morning, verse 12, and this is what he says. He reports, God said to Balaam, do not go with them. You shall not curse the people, for they are blessed. You've heard me say that. Can I chase another rabbit real quick? I'm going to get you out of here quick. Whenever we say God is dealing with us, what we're saying is we know what to do. We just don't want to do it. Come on. This is real life church. We got to keep it real. You've said it. I've said it. We've all said it. And we usually say it because God's instructing us in an area that we don't want to comply with. So we'll say, well, you know, Pastor, God's really dealing with me about serving or giving or doing something. And my question has always been, then why is God having to deal with you? Why are we not quick to obey? That was my rabbit. Now I'll go back on the trail. So Balaam gets up in the morning and said to Balak, this is verse 13, said to Balak's leaders, go back to your land for the Lord has refused to let me go with you. So they go back and they tell Balak, he ain't coming. Balak says, we're going to send the management team with more money, better garments, and go and get this guy because we got to get him. So when they come back dressed better and with more money, he says, well, let me go pray again. And God, verse 20, God said to Balaam at night and said to him, If the men have come to call you, rise up and go with them. But only the word which I speak to you shall you do. So Balaam arose in the morning and saddled his donkey and went with the leaders of Moab. And now we come to the famous story that we always hear taught in Sunday school about the talking donkey. And you remember he saddles the donkey. The donkey tries to swerve, pins him up against the wall. The prophet gets angry, starts beating the donkey. The donkey talks to him, and he argues with the donkey. And the question is, why would God say go, if they come, go, but then send an angel to kill him en route? 
Because remember, that's what the donkey saw. Donkey said, you jack. I ain't the donkey you is. Because I see something you don't see, and I'm trying to save your life, you ingrate. You've ridden me your whole life. I ever pinned you against the wall before? No. And then God opened up his eyes, and he saw the angel. So why would God send an angel? Well, look at what the Lord said. And I've checked this out with every scholar that I have sitting on my shelf. And I got a lot of scholars sitting on my shelf. And every one of them said the same thing. Balak sent the people away. And they were, if, God said, if they come again in the morning, you know, you go away, you go out there and you pray. I'll, you know, and I'll go pray and I'll come. If, and God said, if they come back in the morning, go with them. But he didn't wait. He saddled up his donkey and went out to meet him. That's not what God said. God said, if they come for you again, you go with them. He said, I ain't waiting because I got my money. So he saddled up his donkey and went. That's disobedience. Thus the angel. He disobeyed because the love of money made him step over the boundaries of God. You follow me? So lesson learned. When God gives you instructions, it's not a negotiation. Okay? Hmm. So many places I can go. Let's go to verse chapter 23, verse 7. He, he took up his discourse and said, From Aram Balak has brought me. Moab's king from the mountains of the east, come curse Jacob for me and come denounce Israel. And his response is, How shall I curse whom God has not cursed? And how can I denounce whom the Lord has not denounced? Now again, a little bit of background. Three different times, Balak took Balaam up to a different place. The first place he took him, they could see all of Israel. And this is where he said this. He said, I can't curse whom God has not cursed, and I can not, I cannot denounce whom God has denounced. The second time, he takes him up and he shows him a smaller section. He says, if you can't curse all of them, at least curse some of them. If you can't get them completely cursed, at least curse them a little bit. And he couldn't do it there. And then the third time, he says, listen, if you can't curse them, at least don't bless them. The blessing is powerful, y'all. And so the first time he goes up and this is, he comes down and this is what he said. He said, I can't curse whom God has not cursed. My question for you is this morning, and this is not a rhetorical question, are you blessed? Now that wasn't, are you blessed? Who blessed you? Then the question is, who can curse you? So why do we waver in between this idea? You know why we waver? Because we've been taught wrong. We've been taught that the blessing rises and falls on our actions. And then that our actions, we never know whether they're good enough. So am I really blessed? Because maybe I didn't pray enough. Maybe I didn't give enough. Maybe I didn't sacrifice enough. And you and I need to finally get it through. If they told you the blessing was a result of what you do, they lied. They lied. Because the blessing is a result of what he did. And that's unchangeable. That's immutable. That's invincible. Now, everything we do is a result of being blessed. We got to make sure we don't put that 
horse out in front of the cart and wonder why we ain't getting nowhere. I don't do in order to become. I do because I already am. If I bark, it's because I'm a dog. But I didn't become a dog because I barked. You following me? So we need to understand we operate out of a center of done. It's done. I'm the blessed of the Lord. So who can curse me? Who can come in and they are greater than the blessing of the Lord on me? Nobody. So you and I ought to have enough sense that if somebody's standing behind a pulpit and telling me I'm cursed if I do this or I'm cursed if I do that and I'm only blessed if I do this, we ought to have enough sense to shut the channel off. His grace is more than enough. It is sufficient. And I remember the first time, and if you know who preached this, I'm sorry, I love this person. But the first time I heard someone preach, tithing is the covenant connector. I talked to the TV and I said, it is not. The blood of Jesus Christ is the covenant connector. It's his blood that connects me to the covenant of God, not my 10%. Hmm. So if you're blessed, you're blessed of God. And if God has not cursed you, no man can. And that's the point of the story that we're getting to. It doesn't matter how, how highly paid they are. It doesn't matter if they're a PhD, DOD, DVD, or SUV. It doesn't matter how many initials they got behind. They cannot stand up and curse you if God has blessed you. And if God has blessed you, then you are the blessed of the Lord, and they can't undo it. So the second time Balaam goes up and he comes back and he does the same thing. And now I'm going to quote to you a verse that every one of us have heard before. But we've always heard it quoted apart from its original setting. You've all heard this verse, Numbers 23, verse 19. Is this okay this morning? Yes, God is not a man. How many of you ever heard that preached? It usually has a hoop tied to the end of it. God is not a man. Yeah. Yeah. That he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not make it good? We've all heard this verse, but what was it originally spoken about? The blessing. This is what Balaam said when Balak was trying to get him to undo. He said, Listen, God is not a man. You got to get Balak. Look, at, I want your money, bro. I really do. I'm trying to earn the pay. But Yahweh's in the way. And he's not a man that we can push over. There's, you can't circumvent him. You can't walk around him. You can't overcome him. You can't dig under him. I can't. I can't get to those people because he's in between us. Everyone say, better covenant. better covenant. And as we read the story, you know what you're going to find? This whole time when there was a prophetic hitman trying to take him out, Israel never knew. They didn't know all of this was going on up on the mountaintops. They were blissfully unaware. 
I'm going to tell you this. The blessing of God will protect you from assaults that you never even know were happening. There were stones and arrows and words thrown your way. Diseases sent to take you out. And the blessing of God so protected you, you didn't even know the devil had you in his crosshairs. He pulled the trigger. You never felt the bullet. Why? Because God is your shield. He is your buckler. He stands between you and all of that. You got to know our God is a great God and we're the blessed of the Lord. Don't let him tell you you're ordinary. You're not ordinary. You're a peculiar people marked of the Lord. You're the only ones crazy enough. When you go to the gas station, you do a Holy Ghost dance at the pump. Why? Because you know even when it hits 150 to fill up the Prius. My God is more than enough. Ah! And they're all going to wonder, why are you so happy? And you're going to say, because it doesn't matter how high this goes. My God meets all of my needs. Not some of my needs, but all of my needs. According to his riches and glory. So I ain't afraid. But you got to know what you know because you got to be able to walk by faith not by sight because by sight it can be scary but by faith it's all done hmm. so let me give you the Jimmy Miller version of this verse if God said you're blessed he's not a man that he should lie about the blessing God will not repent of the blessing he spoke over you if he said it Will he not do it? Has he spoken the blessing? And will he not make the blessing good? That's what that's exactly what the prophet is trying to say about the blessing. We can't undo it because God said it. And what did God say about the words that went out from his mouth? They won't return to me void, but they will accomplish what I sent them out to do. So if God says you're blessed, you ought never say nothing else. Why would you want to disagree with him? If God said, you, see, this is the reason why I don't appreciate the phrase, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Because if God said you're the righteousness of the Lord, you're the righteousness of God in Christ, then you ain't a sinner. And if God said you're blessed, you ain't cursed. You just ain't. Now, I told you this in an earlier, you can be blessed and act like you're cursed. But you can be rich and act like you're poor. It don't make you poor. It just means you're living below your privileges. So if you're the blessed of the Lord, act like you're blessed. Think like you're blessed. Talk like you're blessed. Give God all the credit. I'm blessed when I go in. I'm blessed when I go out. I'm blessed in the city. I'm blessed in the field. Everything I touch is blessed. If that thing grows on my property, it better bloom because it is blessed. We ain't ordinary. Listen to the Numbers 23, verse 10. Is this okay this morning? Oh, man, I'm burning through my clock. Numbers 23, verse 20, reading it to you out of the contemporary English version. This is what the prophetic hitman said. My command from God was to bless these people. You wanted me to curse them, but my command from God was to bless these people. And listen to this. There's nothing I can do to change what he has done. 
This was no minor league profit. This was a big time profit. He said, there's nothing I can do to undo this. Israel's king is the Lord God. He lives there with them and intends them no harm. Verse 23 says this, listen to this. No magic charms can work against them. Just look at what God has done for his people. And then we're going to jump down to chapter 24, verse 9. He couches, he lies down as a lion, and as a lion who dares rouse him. Blessed is everyone who blesses you, and cursed is everyone who curses you. Then Balak's anger burned against Balaam, and he struck his hands together. And Balak said to Balaam, I called you to curse my enemies. But behold, you have persisted in blessing them these three times. This is old covenant, y'all. This is old covenant. Listen, the blessing of God, and this is where we're going to get to the tragedy of the story, but we need to understand it. the blessing of God cannot be taken from you. They can't take it from you, but they can talk you out of it. They can't strip it from you, but they can get you to surrender it. How? False doctrine. Erroneous teaching. Well, you know, only poor people are truly holy. All rich people are greedy. Well, then that means every blessed person who's ever lived has been greedy because the blessing of the Lord maketh rich. Doesn't say poor. It says rich. Are there greedy rich people? Are there greedy poor people? So poverty is not a sign of holiness any more than prosperity is a sign of godliness. But we do know if we walk with God humbly and we walk with God righteously, God will increase us more and more. I was talking to a friend of mine who pastors a church just the other day. And he's, he said, man, I got to tell you something. I haven't even shared this with my wife yet. He said, I was looking at my own personal P&L. And this was a guy who was raised poor, man. I'm talking broke. He said, I'm worth 1.2 million. I said, shut up. He said, no, I, I didn't even realize God had blessed me like this. I'm worth, I got 1.2 million. I said, no, that's not cash. I said, that's irrelevant, dude. Most rich people, it ain't cash because they got the money working for them. I said, you're a millionaire. He said, no, I'm not. 1.2. He said, no, no, you got to have a couple million to be a million. I said, dude, how'd you get here? I said, multiplied millions makes you a you're sharper than he is. It took him a while to get it. I said, if you've got 1.2, you're a millionaire. And the phone went silent. He's like, oh, my God. I'm a millionaire. I said, yeah. I don't know how you got there, but God is good. It surely was not on your intellect. You got to know my friend. We banter. I said, dude, that, and then I said, you know, that makes me happy. 
He said, I know it does. You always rejoice in good things. I said, no, no, no. If God will do that for you. Because <laughs> whatever you've seen God do for someone else, don't get jealous. Don't get pity. Uh, pet of, don't be, know that if God did it for them, God will do it. And this is a guy who's been all he, he's just a good pastor. He didn't seek wealth. Wealth found him. Wealth will find all of us. Don't let them talk us out of it. Is this okay? Why couldn't this prophetic hitman curse Israel? Because God would not allow him to do so. My time is up, but can we continue? Joshua chapter 24, verse 9 and 10. Then Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, arose. This is Joshua's report. Because remember, Israel seemed to be blissfully unaware. They didn't even know all this was going on. But Joshua writes and he records it. He says that this Balak hired Balaam. And he sent, him, he sent and summoned Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. You didn't know it, but someone had come to curse you. But this is what God says. Verse 10. I was not willing to listen to Balaam. Every word spoken over you in judgment shall be condemned. You shall condemn it. Y'all following me? So he had to bless you. I delivered you from his hand. You didn't even know it. But he had to bless you because I would not let him curse you. Everyone say old covenant. Old covenant. This is how God behaved toward his people under the old covenant. How much more under the new? I'm going to try to hurry up. Balaam could not curse what God had blessed. But he sure knew how to work around the system and find loopholes. And this is what we need to know. Listen to this. As long as the people of God were devoted to God, no enemy, not even a prophetic hitman, could curse them. God would not listen and God would not allow it. Deuteronomy chapter 23 verse 5. Nevertheless, the Lord your God was not willing to listen to Balaam. But the Lord your God turned the curse into a blessing for you. When you and I know we're blessed, this is when we're liberated enough to pray for them who despitefully use us, not cry about it. Right? Most of us, anybody treats us bad, we moan about it and we cry about it. Oh, they when we understand we're the blessed of the Lord and if they curse us, the curse isn't going to affect us. It's going to affect them. Amen. Now we're positioned to pray for them who despitefully use us because we know what they don't know. By speaking against me, you're hurting yourself. Because it ain't going to affect me. Because I'm the blessed of the Lord. What was that old... Bounces off of me and sticks to you. I remember something along those lines. You speak curses and it bounces off of me and sticks to you. Everyone say, I'm blessed. God turned the curse into a blessing for you because the Lord your God loves you. So Balaam did something truly insidious and yet very effective. He taught Balak how to get Israel to hurt themselves because he couldn't hurt them. Revelation chapter 2, verse 14. Now, you know this is the end of the book, right? 
And what this shows is what Balaam did was so effective. It worked from that generation through the next generation through the next generation. It even affected the New Testament church, and it's operating in our churches today. He couldn't take the blessing, so he taught error. He taught the people of God how to hurt themselves. Revelation 2.14, this is the Messiah speaking. Not to Old Testament people, but New Testament people. I have a few things against you. Because you have some there who hold what? Teaching of Balaam. Who kept teaching Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel. What did he teach him? To eat things sacrificed to idols and commit acts of adultery or immorality. I'm sorry. This is what he said. He said, listen, I can't curse them. Try. But this is what we can do. Because, see, I want, I want the pay. All we have to do is teach them to cheat on God. Right? Eating the food sacrificed to idols is this, Steve. What it means is, Balak, instead of fighting them, invite them. Make them part of you. Tell them, say, listen, I know you won't come to our feast because we're celebrating a God that you don't believe in, but come and eat after. Just come party with us. We just want to get along. So come and be a part of the festivities afterward. Remember what I taught you a few weeks ago? A faithful man will abound with blessings. They're not saying come worship our God. They're just saying partake of the blessings of worshiping our God. Come eat the food. And then while you're here, hey, warrior of Israel. See that girl over there? That's my sister. She likes you. She's hot. Look at her. She wasn't the sister. She was a prostitute paid. But while you're here, So we got a room right off to the side. Just keeping honest. First they ate the food, sacrificed to idols. Then they committed acts of immorality. Did something God told them not to do. Yes. And we find out later on a plague came into Israel. Yes. Because of that. Yes. Good gracious. You following me? See, they can't take the blessing, but they can get us to surrender it. Because the blessing does require one thing of us. Devotion. Yes, sir. Devotion. Because the blessing is him. Yes. It's not apart from him. We can't take the blessing, run away from him, and stay blessed. Yes, sir. And the enemy knows that. So what the enemy does is he says, Lo, I know I can't take the blessing from you, but if I can get you just to be a little bit more like them. right? You don't got to go do what they do, but just show up at the party afterward. And you become guilty by a... This is the reason why God says in very many places, I'm a jealous God. And you're an adulterous generation because you're cheating on me. And why would you do that? I'm the only one who loves you. They don't love you. They're just trying to use you. I want to bless you. I want to put crowns on your head, a, a, a diadem. And I want to put robes on you. And I want to make you something spectacular. But you keep running with the players. Come home. Yes, sir. So Balak taught them how to trip themselves up. And this teaching was so insidious and 
permeated so much Peter talks about. I'm trying to hurry up, y'all. Don't disconnect yet. Peter said in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 15, forsaking the right way, they have gone astray, having followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. And then Jude mentions it again in Jude chapter 1, verse 11, woe to them, for they have gone the way of Cain, and for pay they have rushed headlong into the error of Balaam and perished in the rebellion of Korah. The error of Balaam hinders us to this very day. This is the reason why I told you last week, you can't hang with everyone and have everything. And it's not about being holier than thou. It ain't about being self-righteous hypocrites. It's about being devoted to God, to God enough that if they say, hey, come play, you say, I can't do that. Remember Joseph, when, when, when uh, Potiphar's wife wanted him, he said, I can't do this and sin against God. We need holiness again, and not, not the pretend stuff, not the stuff that I'm going to hold over your head like, ain't I holier than you? Look at my bad hairdo. No, 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 but a holiness that says I'm devoted to him. So there's places I can't go. There's things I can't do. Not because I'm trying to be something. I just, I just want him. I want him more than anything. I want to be with him. And, and, and when we're, we have that devotion, the enemy can't stop us. Balaam could not do it in a full frontal assault, so he taught error. So when we do what God requires of us, he will always do what we expect of him. What does the Lord require of us? I'm glad you asked. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 12. Now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require from you? But to fear the Lord, that means respect him. But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all of his ways and love him. And to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul. That's what he requires. He requires hopeless devotion to love. And we know this. Is this okay this morning? If you love him, you'll never sin against him because love is the fulfillment of the law. You don't have to give me ten commandments. Just give me one. Love. I never violate someone I love. I never steal from someone I love. I never abuse someone I love. I never beat someone I love. I never speak harshly to someone I love. I never curse someone I love. I never cuss someone I love. Nothing can stop us. Nothing can harm us. Isaiah chapter 43 says this, But now, O Jacob, listen to the Lord your God who created you, O Israel, the one who formed you. It says, Do not be afraid. For I have ransomed you, I have called you by name. You are mine. When you go through deep waters, and you will, I'll be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, and you will, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, and you will, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. Our God is faithful. See, what God is trying to make us, and I'm closing with this, with the blessing of God upon us, 
It ain't about bigger cars. It ain't about bigger houses. It really isn't. God will give you those things, but in all honesty, God considers those things trinkets. He really does. He ain't impressed. He doesn't look at your house and go, wow, I wish I had one like that. No, he says, wait till you get up here. See what I've made for you. That's nice. But it ain't. I mean, come on. Streets of gold. And you think he's impressed by a gold vase or vase? He's trying to make us an unstoppable army who marched through the land singing a brand new song and it ain't hee-haw. There are days I wished I could sing, but y'all know that ain't my lane. But here, I want to re read to you the lyrics of a song we used to sing and I pray someday gets restored. They shall lift up their voice. They shall sing for joy. They shall cry aloud and be free. They shall glorify the name of the Lord. It's the blood bought, the church, the redeemed. Oh, pick up your hearts, O Zion of the Lord. Let the earth spring forth with its praise. For the children rejoice from the islands of the sea. We're the blood bought. We're the church. We're the redeemed. And we are in that army of the Lord. We've been washed in the blood and we are going forth. There is nothing that can stop this mighty moving force with a shout of praise, a two-edged sword. Every stronghold of bondage must fall beneath our feet. Every prisoner held captive must be free. For our deliverance has come through the power of the Son, it's the blood-bought, the church, the redeemed. I'm going to say it again. Well, every stronghold of bondage, be it real or imagined, be it material or spiritual, must fall beneath our feet. Every prisoner held captive must be free. For our deliverance has come through the power of the Son. It's the blood-bought, the church. The redeemed. Amen. He did not redeem us to misery. Oh, that we would rise up in the full realization of everything that he's created us to be. I know in my own experience, and I'm confident in yours as well, for too long we've been held back by the error of Balaam. As we wake up to who we are and we realize we are fully righteous, fully restored, fully repaired, not afraid to be who we are, not afraid to receive what he has ordained. We're not trying to keep spiritually illiterate people happy with our lifestyle. And we're no longer tolerant or accepting of allowing limited men who have limited God to limit us through their suppositions, their opinions, and their judgments. We're willing to be free because He has made us free. We're willing to step out because He has, he has so blessed us and anointed us that we can step off the bow of the boat and we will not sink. If we're facing waters, we will not drown. When we cross the rivers, we will not perish. And if we're in the fire, we'll not even be burned. That's our God.
Stand to your feet this morning.